AOD Tech. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a hustler, baby. I'm a hustler, yeah. baby. I know heartbreaks. Setbacks, bitch. If I crap out, I'm sure I'ma get back. I've been through the ups and downs, you know I get around. So to me, it's all a part of the game. If I ain't the cold man or the dope man, I'm almost the show man. I gotta take it, no need to say shit. I'm gon' take it. Robberies turn homicide, it's nothing to play with. Hey y'all, this is Chronicles of Power, a podcast dedicated to the world of power where I review and break down the latest episode in the Powerverse. We are brought to you by Private Listed, your source for all things music, sports, culture, and entertainment. Hit us up on the socials. All tags and handles can be found in the episode description. I am your host, Kimi, and thank you for joining me as we analyze Raisin Canaan, episode 209, titled Antitrust Director. Erica Watson, writer Kevin Fox, and y'all better keep a lookout for this young lady named Erica Watson. She is a black female director. You may not be familiar with her name, but she has definitely directed episodes in Power Book 2 Ghosts. She also did episodes on The L Word, Claws, uh, Snowpiercer, and All-American. I'm not sure if you guys watch All-American, but she's definitely done stuff on there. She is amazing, and she's definitely coming for y'all head. So, this week, I am going to skip news because I only had two news blurbs to talk about this week so I think we'll, we'll skip it in the interest of time because I do want to keep this episode to about an hour or under an hour and I want to say that when I first saw this episode my immediate feedback was I hated it <laughs> not in terms of direction not in terms of the look not in terms of costume but I think that normally we have been groomed to believe that episode nine in most of the series within power is going to be the big bang, the big to do. And I think maybe I set myself up, excuse me, I set myself up for failure or I set my expectations too high Because I thought that this was the episode where all of London's houses will go falling down and all of the bridges will go falling down and everything around Rock's empire would be crumbling or that something catastrophic was going to happen. But within this episode, we just get to see more pieces being put into play for what's going to come next season, possibly, or destructive behaviors that are gonna have consequences in the season finale that will then leave us with cliffhangers to move into season three but all of that aside let's get into our scene recaps because there were a lot of scenes in this episode and I have over 14 pages of notes so we start off our episode as usual with our reliable narrator Mr. Kanan Stark and uh, If there's any clue of what may happen with the mother, the father, and the Holy Ghost. (laughs) He still keeps his last name. He doesn't change it to Howard. So maybe that gives us some insight as to what happens with some of his, uh, with his familial characters here. But we start off with Kanan narrating and 
He is breaking down. Although there are light moments with your family and friends, if you live your life as a hitter or as the muscle, you are going to be clouded by the things you've done. So you know that adage, you reap what you sow? Here's how it applies. Because eventually, all the bodies that you've amassed will haunt you. And someone or something is going to come back to avenge one or all of the bodies that you've laid down. So this is where we see Jimmy. He's with his crew. We see him bowling, laughing with friends, having a good old time. But from Kana's words, you already know that Jimmy's screen time on this show is about to come to a close. We see that Jimmy comes outside. He's talking to a character named Carmine about paying back any of the money that's owed to him. And right now, Carmine is about to hold on to all of that money because they cue the music and you know that somebody is about to come up from behind. We see Jimmy put the bag in a trunk and who emerges from the shadows but Uncle Lulu. Before Jimmy can finish saying, you don't want to do this, Lou shoots him, kills him. And we end off that scene with, if you're a hitter, you're going to get hit. Whether it's a bullet, whether it's doing a bid, or whether you get hit by a bus, something's going to come back for you because of what we learned about karma. And we heard in the last episode how Sal is big on karma and balancing the universe and making sure that things are even so that karma doesn't come back for you triple fold you can control the karma by by paying what you owe or reaping what you sow so you ever heard the term live by the sword die by the sword this scene and this episode is just pretty much telling you you're gonna go out just how you lived hard as hell but we move on to the next scene And I hate to say I told you so, but in the last episode, I told you that they ended the episode with the wrong song and they ended it with Ice Cube. And I told you that they should have ended it. What song? Can we say it? I said Renee by the Lost Boys, right? So I feel like this is a necessary occasion to not gloat, but to kind of make you guys know that I, you know, I have a little insight here and I kind of know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But there's no way that Marvin got killed in episode eight. And I'll give you a few reasons why. If you follow the Power series, you know that their episode layout is pretty formulaic. Power always kills an innocent or someone we were supposed to like in the episodes before episode nine. So that's why you and I'll give you examples from this season. That's why Scrap got killed early. I I believe he died in episode two or was it three? It's either two or three that Scrap died. If I can, um, if I find it before the end of recording this episode, I'll correct myself. But I believe he dies in episode two. And he's someone that we are supposed to like. He's funny. He's loyal. He's been around the longest. And we've known him throughout all of season one. He dies. And then they do things where they kill an innocent who has nothing to do with any of the shenanigans that are going on within the backstory, the main story and the whole story. And they kill that person. And that is how we have Dr. Renee, right? Main characters never die 
prior to the ending of the season. So that is another reason why I was saying, you know, I was a little bit disappointed in episode nine because prior to the show starting to air, we heard all of the actors talk about that there is some, there's big episodes happening at the end of the season in reference to episodes eight, nine, and 10. And I remember Haley Kilgore doing an interview saying, you know, I know it's, she didn't say, I know it seems slow, but she says, hey, just give us some time to cook. It's coming. So I heard all of that. And in many of the podcasts that I recorded for this season, I said, hey, this is a slow burn. And we all know that it's a slow burn. They're telling a story. They have to do some setup because we're learning learning about all new different characters uh, and all new different dynamics between the characters and we're fleshing out storyline here right so they have to introduce us to new people we have to get a lot of things done and we have to get a lot of things established and I am fine with that I understood that this show was different from the other shows within the power universe and I'm fine with that but because I heard the setup about the later episodes supposed to have this big big impact Maybe, maybe I was expecting something else. But again, let's get back to the funeral scene. And then we can continue talking about my feelings about the episode as we go throughout the scenes. If you are concerned about the core group, it's the the core group of actors, meaning Rock, Lou, Marvin, uh, we kind of discount Kanan and jukebox because we know that they're still alive but we shouldn't be discounting them because right now the story that they're building towards is how they ended up the way they did and what made them turn into the criminals that they did become so uh Kanan Juke Rock Marvin Lou they are our core group of characters. And, you know, we can probably even add Unique in there too, because at this point I'm invested in Unique and I'm invested in what happens to him. And I'll explain why in the later scenes when we talk about Unique and his interactions with Sal Baselli. But we do see that it was Dr. Renee who was killed. She got hit with the bullets that were made for, that were sent for Marvin when Jimmy and his henchmen decided to come out of the woodworks and lay the hit on Uncle Marvin. Can you imagine being Dr. Renee? Imagine being in anger management and the doctor and and your doctor, you probably don't get out to date a lot. And the whole season, she is throwing it at Marvin, giving him the hints, letting him know that she likes him and that she's invested in his turn in demeanor and his turn in attitude and how he progresses and making sure that he is able to control his anger. And for all of that, just for you to say that you want to go on a date with this guy, you end up dead. Like, damn, you can't win for losing. But poor Marvin and poor Renee, she was just trying to put herself out there. And unfortunately, unfortunately, she gets caught up and we did see Mr. Marvin, our thug. He did shed a tear. So but um, I, I feel sorry for Marvin because he, he is trying to turn a new leaf. And this makes me think about him and his fate on this show because we can see that they're set, setting up a redemption arc for Marvin and him be him even going to the funeral and obviously showing some sort of emotion at the funeral we know that he is not as hard as rock 
He's not as divested as Lou, but he's really trying to make a change. And it's and everything that he does is coming to bite him in the ass in the long run. But we move on from the funeral scene and we go to Famous and Kanan and we see that Famous is being evicted or he's about to get evicted the landlord wakes up Kanan and famous to tell him he has two days to pay rent or he has to get out and famous famous's rebuttal is can we set up a payment plan and rightfully so the landlord is like yo you gotta pay in order to have a payment plan but then he tries to barter free studio time for the landlord and his girlfriend in order to stay in his apartment but remember this deal was put into place by Mr. Porter Rock himself, Crown Camacho, who just got fished out of the river. Now, Crown Crown set this up for Famous, and I'm pretty sure he had some end goal in mind, but Famous is not able to uphold his part of the deal, so he's about to get kicked out. And while these two idiots are living in absolute squalor, Rock is closing on her beautiful home in Douglas Town. It looks like Douglas Town uh, in, in Queens. And the realtor is all smiles because she got a sale. You know, she got her little commission. And we see Rock security is out front with her Jeep. She actually tells the realtor that that person is her cousin. Uh, I guess not to alarm her because, you know, you don't want her going back to telling anybody in the neighborhood that Rock is going to bring trouble with her. But the realtor says something here, and I guess it was a little triggering for me. And you guys can tell me if you felt the same way. But this is what she says to Rock. You know, she congratulates her and she says, I hope you make a lot of happy memories here as her son is sitting in that nasty ass apartment with famous. And but, you know, Rock says, yeah, me too. But whenever I hear white people say things like this, especially in a movie or like any type of setting, the first thing I think of or it just brings me back to instances like Tulsa, Oklahoma, Seneca Village, Rosewood, Manhattan Beach, Vienna, all instances where they ran black people out of town. And I just hope that that is not what we're going to see next season when Rock moves into this home and then they try to get her out of there because in that area that she's moving into, I can tell you it's not a lot of black people there. However, she ends with, if you need anything at all, just call me. And we move from Rock, we move from Canaan, Famous, and Marvin, and we go back to the Vaselli's. And we hear Frankie Valley playing, can't take my eyes off of you. <laughs> I prefer the Lauren Hill version. But it plays in the background as Sal and his crew, they discuss Rock going toe-to-toe with the outskirts of the mafia. So you know how there's always that one friend or person in the crew that always has to say something obvious. So Sal is concerned about the disruption of order and the balance of karma as he discusses that Rock and her homies have to be checked. This is where the guy from the crew says, all of that sounds good, but apparently she can go toe to toe with you because she just had Jimmy killed. He he further tells him, she made you come down on your taste. Ain't that some recent shit? some racist shit she made you come down on your taste (laughs) like how the fuck do you even say that to somebody she made you come down on your taste but he's just saying that you know she he 
Sal ends up having to work with black people and he doesn't normally do that. And now she ends up, he, they are blaming rock for having Marco killed and she said she wouldn't give up her brother for Marco and it seems like she's been going toe-to-toe with you all along so you saying that she needs to know so Sal saying that she needs to know that she can't go toe-to-toe to us is almost laughable at this point because she came in going toe-to-toe with you and you haven't been able to check her yet but here is where we hear about Peck and Order and a slight intro to a new character that they're probably either going to give us a taste of next episode or we'll probably get the full glimpse of or a full package of the rollout of this new character in season three. Sal is concerned about possibly lighting up Queens without checking in with someone from the fish store in Howard Beach first. And this person, Sal, alludes to always wanting something in return. So he doesn't want to just go guns a blazing into Queens, setting off any other problems because he wants to make sure he has every every duck in a row. And he is following the pecking order here. And the the guy, we didn't get his name, by the way. So if you just hear me saying the guy, so... Later, I refer to him as our new freaking frack. But the gentleman or the actor who was talking in this scene and telling Sal that she's always been going toe to toe with him, talking about Rock, he says she fucking killed Jimmy. That can't go unanswered. Like, no shit, Sherlock. Of course, that's not going to go unanswered. And that's why Sal is having this whole meeting here. But there's politics involved and Queens is a hornet's nest. So he's taking the pragmatic route and dotting all of the I's and crossing the T's by finding out what they're up against in terms of manpower and material. So they want to know what type of resources does Rock have? What type of people does she have behind her? He doesn't want to go in there blind and not knowing what's behind any of the doors that Rock may have. He wants to know, and he says this, uh, he wants to know what he's up against and he tells someone to get me unique. Here is where we go to the standout performance of the episode. Sam, I told y'all from we from the other episodes when we first saw Sam, when we saw him bopping down the street, he had the most authentic walk, stance, demeanor, vernacular, everything, right? So Sam, we see Sam urinating in public and Sam the man with the backup plan was picked up in an earlier scene for public indecency, theft and possession. He was brought to a holding cell and is trying to get out of his arrest by offering up information on the shooting he saw in Baisley Park. Now, if you remember, he saw Kanan the night that Howard was shot and that he also saw Kanan outside of the station house when Famous was getting picked up by Howard. So remember when uh, Detective Howard got Famous released when they did that, uh, the stick up on Freddie, but Famous fell and they got caught by the cops. So he saw that happen too. And remember, Burke was in the background of that scene. However, Sam is trying to leverage the information about him seeing the cop get shot. And he can't really use it because they did ask him before, but he's not a reliable witness because why? He's a dope fiend and he's always high. So the other cops are ignoring his rants and raves, but nope, you know who's not ignoring him? Detective 
Burke. <laughs> what you say? You said something about Howard? It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter if he if he said that a duck shot the cop. So long as he said Detective Howard Burke was going to bite that bone and just come and try to pick at any information that Sam was going to say. So initially he said that Lee Harvey Oswald was the one who shot <laughs> was the one who shot Detective Howard, but they're just saying that because he made up anyone who could have shot the cop but that's just because he was high but he does point out something hey the kid that did shoot that cop y'all need to really get get him off the street because he's a pup now but he's going to turn into a wolf real quick and there goes our little prophecy about Kanan and what Kanan grows up to be we have a quick scene in the studio where famous comes in to the studio and of course Cardi our resident philosopher Cartier Fareed is trying to drop knowledge on his captive audience and he's speaking to Lou about what direction Zisa's next record should go in but they're interrupted by our show's resident Porter Rock famous so famous face an eviction and looking again to offer studio time to his landlord but Cartier jumps in and tries to teach the knucklehead philosophy about fishing and never going hungry and if you could teach a man to fish you doesn't you never have to feed him all of that good stuff he gives him where it come where the term comes from they think it comes from the bible but it actually comes from Lao Tzu uh, but the most important thing to recognize here is that Lou is really getting annoyed with Cartier and he their understanding was that Cartier was a silent partner and that he shouldn't have as much input as he does in the goings on of the business and how Lou is running it. And Lou actually says the famous, hey, I'll take care of it. Just don't worry about it. Get out of here. But Cartier interjects and says, this is what you need to do. Go out there, go get your own money, stop depending on other people, to which is a good point, right? Famous has to get his shit together. He cannot just, every time he's jammed up, he goes to the studio. He's not writing raps. He's not recording. He's not doing any, he's not going to school. He's not working, but it will go to other men to ask them for help to pay his rent or get him out of whatever jam he's in. But... Cartier interjecting here saying that although he's a silent partner but money talks you know that his days are numbered and this is the part of the show that I think we've all needed because this is where we have the honest conversations with the kids so we see that Rock is after she's finish purchasing her home you see her go back to her old house and she's talking to juke and then after that scene we see howard with kanan so let's break down the scene with rock and juke and they they kind of rehash what happened to her in last week's episode and i just want to note here that rock refers to marvin as your father and not just marvin I think that that is very telling that instead of her saying to Juke, hey, Marvin said this, Marvin said this, referring to him by his name, she does qualify him and say that your father told me about what happened to you at your mom's house. And Juke isn't letting Rock in on her emotions about what happened to her. She 
pretty much stays stoic, stays stoic throughout the conversation and doesn't express any emotion about what happens. But she is adamant in saying that she left me and I shouldn't have expected anything different. And which is something that Rock tried to tell her in earlier episodes. And, but Rock does counter and say, we all want to be loved. And she, she also tells her that people can change Juke. And when Rock says this, it may seem like she's advocating for Kenya, but I know she isn't. She's she's pretty much talking about herself because she knows that Kanan is looking at her in the same way that Jukebox is now looking at her mother. And remember, at one point in time, she was looking at her dad the same way. So when you hear rock say that people can change i believe that she's talking about herself and she's advocating for herself because she's trying to redeem her her actions to jukebox because she knows that juke and kanan have a very close relationship and her telling jukebox these things can rub her rub off on her and possibly going back to kanan and advocating for rock in a way to Kanan. Hopefully that made sense in what I was saying. If it didn't, tell me and I'll explain it more or flesh it out more. But I hope that that made sense in what I was saying. But anyway, she she talks to Jukebox about making mistakes and loving her children or loving her child. And when you are the mother or the parent, your decisions are quick and sure people can Monday morning quarterback about the things that you could have done differently and how situations could have been handled but while you're in the moment you make the best decision for you and what you think is the best for your child now how she came to the conclusion that Kanan was the best person to go kill the cop who he didn't know was his dad I don't know because even split second that wasn't a split second decision she she thought about that and I'm just not sure how she came to that conclusion but she does go on to tell jukebox that <clears throat> that she does love Kanan and she misses him and she and she laughs and asks jukebox if he talks if Kanan talks to her about him and she laughs and says you know one of the reasons why we love you so much juke is because you don't betray anyone's confidence and this is why we trust you and this is why we tell you things because we know that you'll keep it and you know you know what I thought of in this scene rock doesn't really have an outlet she doesn't have an adult confidant so yes she dates so we saw her date symphony we saw her going on a couple dates with Cartier Fareed but that's more of her using him as a means to an end but she can't really trust her brothers and her son is the closest one to her and he has pushed her away because of the secrets and the manipulations and obviously the bold-faced lies that she tells but she doesn't have any adult that she can talk to she doesn't go to therapy she doesn't really have any friends but I, I kind of feel sorry for her in a sense. And Rock is not the most sympathetic character. And and I know that a lot of times when 
women or women are women female female characters are considered as tough we don't give them the same grace that we would give male characters and I'll give you an example of this when Ghost was doing fuck shit like I mean the shit he did to Tasha he left his kids he went with the fucking Angela and just abandoned them Tariq was literally crying out for help he missed his friend he missed his dad and Ghost completely ignored him and just was with Angela and people excused everything that Ghost did like if you listen to other podcasts if you even go on message boards or just look at the reviews for this show people bent over backwards to make excuses for the things that Ghost was doing and till this day they hope that he's still alive now some of that is a testament to Amari Hardwick's portrayal of Ghost because he is a great actor and he played the hell out of that role so and he made the show watchable he made you want to come back for more but a lot of people made excuses for him because we didn't look at him as the antagonist of the show we looked at him as the protagonist even though he was a psychopath but let's get back to rock when you're raising your child it's only you in the moment and this is what she's trying to convey to jukebox and in that moment you can only do what you think is the best and I think that Jukebox understands because she she says to her, do you get what I'm saying? Does any of this make sense to you? And Jukebox d- does say yes, she does understand. And I think she does because in a later scene when we see her meet up with Kanan, she does ask if he wants to come home. But we'll get to that later. Howard is cleansing as he prepares for prayer at the mosque and Kanan is watching. And I just want to say shout out to the writers, the director, whoever put this scene in, because I love when we are able to show Muslims in a positive light. I love when we are not making them seem like horrible people. And I love that they show the process of cleaning yourself before you go to pray, or even just the fact that he is praying. But who knew that Howard was Muslim? But he says he's just getting back into it and he shares this intimate moment with his son of him rapping, excuse me, of him praying. And he is honest in not knowing how to maneuver in their newfound relationship because he doesn't know what he can share with Canaan and what he cannot share with Canaan. He doesn't want to overstep, but he also doesn't want to play the shadows either. I would suppose this is a delicate issue because Canaan isn't a baby, but he's a teenager. He's growing into a man and he's trying to work out his thoughts and feelings about this whole new world. Think of it. Your mom is a queen pin. Your uncles are a part of that same organization who you thought who you thought was your father, meaning DEFCON, and who you based your identity in that legacy so Canaan bases his identity in the legacy of what DEFCON represented because remember back in season one everyone tells him you know DEFCON is your daddy and this is how you should be and I think that's why he puts so much pressure on himself to 
join his mom's organization. And he is honest with himself saying he's not made for it or he isn't cut out for the game. But because he has to withhold or uphold rather his dad's legacy or who he thought was his dad, he he has given himself a, a certain layer to how he should move and he's having a hard time living up to it. But in addition to all of that, his mother is all he knows. That's his entire world. She has done everything for him and has instilled a certain value set within him. But that same value set that she has instilled within him, she doesn't adhere to the same moral code she wants him to live by. And I just... I feel bad for him because he's confused in this moment, but also we have to remember that Howard is confused as well and he doesn't know how to deal with Kanan and to and he can't he can't flesh out all of the things that Kanan is going through, especially when it con- concerns his identity. But this scene has a certain sort of familiar it is familiar to me because remember last week when we saw Rock say to Kanan don't dance around the issue with me. If you have something to say, just say it. And Howard does the same thing to Canaan. If you got something to say to me, just say it because I don't know what to ask. And here's where he's saying, I can't, he can't, he's not going to articulate. I don't know the problems that you're having with your identity. I don't know what happened between you and your mother. I don't even know what your relationship is with DEFCON. But whatever it is that you have to ask me, just do it. And unlike what Kanan does with his mother and doesn't ask her the questions that he wants answers to, he does do it with Howard. And Kanan admits to knowing that Howard is his father. And he also admits that he's always known that he was his father, obviously, since he has uh, introduce the thought to him as much as it changes things between him and Howard it also changes things between him and his mother more Kanan does ask something that has been bothering him and he says does she always know that you were my father and Howard does the right thing here and says I don't know because he doesn't want to speak on what Rock knows because that would be unfair to both Rock and to Kanan and She has to tell her own truth here and they have to talk and work out the kinks of their relationship themselves. And Kanan is appalled. He's like, unfair, unfair to her. Like, why are you worrying about her? She's the one that lied. She's the one who sent me to kill you in the park. But Howard stops him because he doesn't want to speak on it especially in the mosque. There has to be a certain sort of respect there and he doesn't want to bring up old things. He wants to move forward. It's one of those things where if you say it, it, you make it true. And he's really trying to block it out of his mind. And he says, I don't ever want to talk about that ever. Let's focus on the future and not the past. And speaking of the future, we still see Sam. He's in the holding cell. And he's ranting and raving. Oh, they're taking him to the holding cell, rather. He's ranting and raving. And Burke finally bites because she hears uh, Sam going off in the background. Hey, yo, D-Tech, I got information. And he's telling him. (laughs) 
she got her bone now because you know she she's she's digging in the backyard she's looking for her bone and here comes sam on a nice silver platter for her and he says i know about the cop who got shot in the park and he says the cop who got shot was with the person that shot him and burke is like wait what the kid who shot Howard was with Howard. <laughs> He's like, that's what I'm saying. Kadumbo. I'm going to call her Kadumbo. Kodumbo. Kadumbo for the next, next 20, 30 minutes of this episode. So she, she pros him a little bit about the kid with Howard asking if Sam knows his name, but obviously he doesn't. However, he does know Famous's name because he says they keep calling him famous, but he's not famous. I don't know. I've never seen this guy anywhere, but that's his name. So he refers to famous as Latin. And I just want to stop here and say, I have never heard that in the hood, especially in the 90s. But we're going to roll with it because no one says Latin. They don't even say Latin now in the hood. You know what they do say? They do say Spanish. It don't matter if you're Puerto Rican, Dominican, Colombian, Ecuadorian, they're going to say you're Spanish. So them saying Latin, I was like, well, that was odd. That, that was a weird way to describe famous or they, they would have just called him Puerto Rican or said Spanish. But anyway, Kadumbo goes to the captain to tell him that he had that she has a witness that came in with information, but it doesn't match his original testimony. The captain tells her, use whatever matches the evidence and any other witness they statements that they may have but also tell the ADA that the new witness that you have is not reliable as soon as she closes that door he immediately calls Salinas from internal affairs and we're going to see Salinas later with uh Nicole <clears throat> excuse me Nicole's dad let's do a quick hit I want to say we got a new Terry Silva, y'all. <laughs> so Rock gets Tremont's guy who is Abraham out of jail uh we heard about him last week when he got locked up and he was the one who got the gun charge and rock sent the lawyer for him but cartier wouldn't because cartier is too focused on the pecking order of things and the organizational chart so tremont is there and he's thankful to get his right hand man back but he's hesitant to line up with rock because of his fear of cartier and she says what she says I'll take care of Cartier. We'll see how that pans out later on. But we go back to Sal now. So we flip back and forth. So Sam is in his cell. And if you notice that he looked like he was in pain and he's moving his head back and forth. If you don't know what that what is happening there, he's actually going through withdrawal. So remember, Sam is a dope fiend and he's an addict. And when he isn't able to get his hit of his drug his body starts to go through withdrawal and he is in a lot of pain and it's not a pretty scene to go through but I am glad that they put a small bit of it in and the cops let him get out of there his walk stance bop vernacular they are all so authentic and I know I said that at the top of the episode but in this scene he really plays it to the bus Sam is a standout character in this episode and he is pulling it down so they let him leave they, they excuse me they let him loose Burke sees her prize pony is about to leave and she is about to bungee jump out the fucking window to go get him conveniently we see Howard in the background and Howard sees her run after 
Sam and he knows something is up. The cop tells Howard. So there's another cop in the scene who tells Howard what Burke is going after. And he knows that Burke is going to Sam to try to get information to see what he possibly knows. So, you know, after this scene that he definitely runs back to Rock to tell her about Kadumbo and that she was talking to Sam and that Sam has to get lined up. So Burke is trying to convince Sam to talk about the valuable information he has. But Sam, the man, he is no fool here, right? He knows he has information to barter and wants to keep it for the next time he gets knocked. So if the cops come back to pick him up, he knows that he has information, very, very valuable information that he can use to possibly try to get out. She gives him a little bit of money. And he, she asks, you know, where can I find you if I need to come talk to you? And he was like, you can either find me in the dope spot, the smoke shop or the moat shop. I'll catch you on a flip. And Howard sees all of this. Now, my question here is, I'm not sure if Sam was able to make a connection between Marvin Rock and Kanan. I know, obviously, I know he knows Marvin. I know he knows Rock, but I don't know if he knows that the same little guy that he's seeing, Kanan, obviously, is related to them. I'm under the impression that he doesn't know. I, I don't think that he does know that Kanan is related to them because if he did, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't be so free in giving up that information because he has because he knows who Marvin is and he knows that Marvin would definitely kill him. But we move on from Sam and him getting let loose to Juke and Marvin and they're having lunch and I really needed this conversation because I know that the show has been leading up to the to the reconciliation and the character redemption of Marvin his temper has led him to make grave irreparable decisions especially as it concerns his daughter and their fight but in this scene, he he is very forthcoming with her and he tells her he has done terrible things and he's regretful about the things that he did. And he apologizes to her. He says, I'm sorry for the things I've done and I'm trying to do good now and I'm trying to do good for you. And she stops him. She's taking in all of the information. She's not, she's not, she's not rude and it's she does believe him and she's not cutting him off to to stop him because she doesn't want to have the conversation but she does stop him to say you can't do good for me until you're able to do good for yourself and he admits he's still trying to work on himself and I think that she's receptive to everything that he is telling her and this scene let me know lets me know that Marvin doesn't have much more time he, he doesn't I think that them setting up that Marvin is trying to turn a new leaf, it doesn't look too good for him. And I have some other issues, not issues, but some other reasons why I don't think he's going to make it out of this. So we know that the Baselli's are on his head. We never see Marvin with security. And I'm not saying that he's not strapped, but I, I just know that it looks like he's not going to make it out of the season alive. And that makes me sad because he's my favorite character on this show. But we move back on to Cartier, who is bold. You hear me? 
Him and Rock are at his penthouse and he proposes to Rock a buy into her operation. And that's when I said he has to be smoking krills because we already know. And this is not one of those instances where, oh, you have more information than the characters. And as the audience, you're privy to things that the characters don't know. This is not one of those instances. Cartier Fareed knows exactly who Rock is. And more importantly, Rock knows who she is. And she isn't bending for anyone she has seen Cartier in action and knows that he has issue with pecking order and the organizational chart but she knows that she is the person in charge and she doesn't want anyone to come and test her muscle or her word she wants to be the ruler the king the queen pin the leader the person who has the last say but hold on now this is not just any buy-in your man Cartier Fareed, how much does he want to buy in? He wants 50 fucking percent of the business. 50 percent. What does he think this is? Does he think this is Shark Tank? Because she didn't come to you with her hand out saying she need any help from you. That, like she, she didn't say she need anything from him. She was just going. I mean, granted, she does need stuff from him. She needs information. She needs know-how. She needs operational cues. But he tells her he wants to help her fund her expansion, assist in moving profits into legitimate businesses. And Rock's rebuttal, why are you doing this? I thought you said it, it was too competitive here and the margins are thin. But now he claims he's looking at the total picture and wants to connect with the connect in South America Ding, ding, ding. So we know that he had an ulterior motive all along, right? He wants to meet up or, you know, get with Rock's plug because he knows the prices that he's paying is too expensive and he needs a better price for the product that he's selling. He says, we may be able to, we may not be able to control our revenue, but we can definitely control our own costs. So that's why we know that he's trying to get in with the Colombians. And he knows that Rock's, Rock has the inside man. Rock is the inside man for this because her connect is the Colombians. And he wants to drive his numbers down. He wants to be more pro profitable. But remember the conversation she has with Tremont about giving him a better deal, right? She wants to give Tremont a better deal. She already has someone who can run areas in the DMV. And all I can say to Rock is run, girl, run. Because he's about to do to you what you want to do to him. And we know. <laughs> we know what she want to do. So we move to... Sal and Unique. They talk about the offer that Sal made to Rock, saying that it was reasonable. And here's where I'll say shout out to Unique because he doesn't fold, even though he has no love for Marvin. And he even points out that Marvin shot at him and his own son, who is definitely younger than Marco, because I think Unique's son is probably what, six, seven? And Marvin definitely tried to sh tried to kill them because why? Because they tried to kill Lou. See, he left that part out, right? See, Unique left that part out to Sal. Like, hey, I tried to kill his brother. So he came and tried to kill me. But what Sal has going on with Rock 
has nothing to do with unique and he definitely tells him that and he wants to keep it that way they couldn't have gone around you know what this is what unique unique brings up some good points and sal does too so unique says marco wanted to do those things and with all due respect they couldn't have gone around you to get to marco if marco didn't want to get extra money on the side and he's still unique is still saying i have nothing to do with that but sal points out that marco vouched for unique but who cares and Unique was involved with when getting the Baselis to hit Rock's trucks and brokering a partnership for them to expand into Jersey. And these are the reasons why Sal says, although you're saying that you're not involved, you are involved. But Unique is like, that was business. You got paid for all of those, that, that intel that I gave you. And you want me to snitch on Rock to you. And what do I get in return? What does Sal say? Nothing tangible. He just says, you get my gratitude. And Unique is like, I don't give a fuck about your gratitude. I care about my honor as a criminal. <laughs> I'm not a snitch. And there is a certain honor among thieves, I think. But there isn't supposed to be any. But he does have a certain honor about the street code. He doesn't want to snitch about rock. And he doesn't really want to get involved in there in their situation and Sal says you disappoint me why do mobsters always have to act like some sort of father figure to everyone around them who the hell cares about your disappointment but Unique spits on the ground and that's how he feels about Sal's disappointment he spits on the ground and I completely agree we do see a quick hit of Canaan and Fame at the pizza shop and I'm gonna actually clear up this whole scene with the later scene with famous so Kanan and famous are at the pizza shop who walks in but Freddie and famous makes commentary and says how does he always have money and I don't and Kanan says to him if you're grimy like him you can be paid too and we know that famous isn't grimy but in this scene Kanan also offers famous a couple hundred dollars to help him get on his feet and to help him pay whatever he owes for rent especially because obviously he's staying there but in a later scene we see famous sneak out of the apartment while Kanan is sleeping to go to Corinne's house to ask for her mom's gun she gives it to him he then goes to stick up Freddy and like all fucking superhero movies before the villain dies or before the person dies there has to be long dialogue about why this is happening and of course this genius famous gets Freddie to say his name and the old man neighbor heard all of this and he pops Freddie and runs off. So we now know that famous one has new material to rap about. So hopefully he ran to go get some damn studio time. And two, he's about to be in a world of trouble in the next season because he, he popped Freddie and the neighbor definitely heard that shit. So uh, we do have our obligatory, we have an obligatory scene uh, in the words of Uncle Marvin. We have our Lebanese scene. So Burke's girlfriend is really trying to save her life. She's like, please leave this Howard situation alone. But she doesn't. We're going to move from the the kissing and the, the intimate scenes to... 
I think we the next scene after that is Marvin and Lou. So Marvin, Lou, and Rock are talking, and they have to go over how they're going to get their lick back or how they're going to stay afloat with the impending war coming with the Italians or with the mob or the mafia. Marvin thanks Lou for dropping Jimmy, especially because he knows that Lou is trying to move away from this type of work. And Lou is like, I'll drop anyone that's trying to take shots at my brother. But Rock chimes in and says, things are about to get hairy. And Rock needs to know that Lou is fully invested. She has people coming down from Newburgh, Rochester, and Syracuse. So all of the people in upstate New York, or all, where all of her reserves are, they're about to come down and come help them out. And Lou says, I'm here. And Rock's, Rock asks about who took out Crown. And I get so frustrated with the secrets between them because... He doesn't admit to taking out Crown and I don't know why, but he says that Crown owed everybody money and it's hard to know exact, exactly who killed him. And when Rock gave him a look, I just want to say, I don't think she believes him. But Lou also tries to be the voice of reason here because even with the reinforcements coming from upstate, they are outmatched when it comes to the outskirts of the mafia. They have more people, more guns, more money and the resources are unlimited. Rock concedes she does know that they have unlimited resources, but she says we may not be able to beat them, but we can scare them and let them bleed. They, talking about the Baselli's, aren't the real mafia. They just answer to the real mafia. And she wants to scare them enough that the real mafia are saying, how does it look that the Baselli's are getting tossed up and served by this little old black girl from Queens? She tells Marvin about Sam. She also says that Sam needs to be cashed out and poor Marvin, right? Because he's trying to get right, but she keeps pulling him back in and she admits it. Rock. She admits that she's he, she knows that he's trying to get his head right. But this matter of Sam is urgent. And we see our new freaking frack. So our old freaking frack were Dominic and Jimmy. They're both dead now. But we see the new ones who are, who were talking in an earlier scene with Sal at the card game. But we see them surveilling the block and they're surveilling, they're surveilling Rock's house. And they notice that there's security outside of Rock's house. And after that, we do see that, let me see, after they surveilled, oh, the next scene is when Juke meets up with Nicole's dad, and she, poor baby, she thinks that this is about to be Pete Rock and Seal smooth, right? She thinks that they're about to reminisce about Nicole, but nope, he wants her to rat out Burke for supplying them with drugs. So this is where we definitely know, we get the confirmation here that Howard was the one that told the dad about Burke supplying them with drugs. He completely made that up. And now he needs Juke to corroborate that story for internal affairs. So we meet Edward Salinas. This is the person that the captain called. And Salinas is going to the father 
because they want Burke out of their hair. The captain thinks that Burke is doing too much. Howard definitely knows that she's doing too much and it's going to be to his de detriment. But Juke plays it cool here. She says she doesn't know about any of this and she doesn't talk to the cops, nor does she talk to the cops about the cops. And she's right in this instance to just get out of there because one, she knows that Burke didn't give them any damn drugs and two, Burke has helped her and she knows that she owes Burke one. So whether she does it out of loyalty to Burke or just some street code, either way, it works in Burke's favor. But the father does tell what is his name? Salinas that Laverne will come around and I doubt that she will. We see after she leaves the father's house, though, that she later meets up with Kanan. They're at the mall and she's telling him about it. She asks about his mom's age when Howard stepped to her and Kanan's like, she was 16. And she makes a joke like, hey, that's the same thing that's going on with you, your girl and your girl's mom. But she does remember the scene that we were talking about with Kanan, not Kanan, with Juke and Rock. She, she advocates for Rock here and says, are you going to come back home? And Kanan says, I cannot come back home. What am I going to come home and say? Like, hey, mom, remember that shit you sent me to do in the park? You forgot to mention that it was my father that you sent me to kill. And Jukebox is like, well, at least you have a dad now. And, and Kanan, who was angry at his mother, says, well, how's that working out for you? And she says, you know, actually, Marvin has been trying to get right. And... Kanan and this is where the divide come Kanan is like she isn't going to ever be able to make this right and he's talking about his mom so we know that he's not ready to reconcile with her yet Sam gets picked up by Marvin Marvin bribes him with jumbos to get into the car and we also see that Burke is looking for Sam right so she goes to the this is the mope spot because this is not the dope spot and this is not the smoke spot this is the mope spot. So this is where the addicts are just walking around. This is where they chill at. She can't find him because he's with Marvin. Marvin is getting ready to put him on a bus so that he can leave town and he doesn't come back. And if you do come back and I see you, I'm gonna have to put you down. He gives Sam a bankroll and I know that I am conflating the two scenes and I'm putting them together but they they go together because the reason she can't find him is because he's getting ready to get on the bus Marvin doesn't want to kill him because remember Marvin is trying to turn a new leaf he they're making him into a likable a more likable character because we kind of hated him for what he did to jukebox and although he's funny there's still that bad cloud lingering over his character and he has to redeem himself so in his mind's view he's doing a good thing by setting Sam up to go change his life get clean and move out of town and and sparing his life and here is where Marvin is missing an opportunity to miss an opportunity he should have done what he, what was told to be done because this is going to come back to bite them and I have no idea why Marvin is still outside with no security while he's just walking around all willy-nilly but we do see that Sam exit the bus and what whatever I missed in this episode it's definitely coming in the finale now, 
We end the episode with Kanan's narration again. It's a short stop at the top. You aren't going to be the best for long because there's always going to be someone younger, tougher, and smarter than you. Cartier enters the building and he's going to his penthouse penthouse and we see that the doorman alerts someone that he's coming up once you wear the crown you have a false sense of safety a certain satisfaction comes along with conquering and we see the elevator doors open and rock and lou are standing there with guns drawn he laughs and says you two don't even trust each other and rock shoots him right in the head and lou takes a final nonchalant shot and that's how the episode ends I just want to say that I thought that the kill of Cartier Fareed would have been not as anticlimactic as this one. I thought that Cartier would have made it at least to season three so that we can hash out how she was setting him up. But that he pretty much bought his own coffin when he asked her for a 50% buy-in. If you guys have any questions about anything that I discussed today, please hit me up on IG. My name is Kimi and you can find me at Kimi Cakes on IG. Have a good week, y'all. I know heartbreaks, setbacks. Bitch, if I crap out, I'm sure I'm gonna get back. I've been through the ups and downs. You know I get around. So to me, it's all a part of the game. If I ain't the cold man or the dope man, I'm almost for sure, man. I gotta take it. No need to say shit. I'm gonna take it. Robberies turn homicide. It's nothing to play with. Make money, make, make, make money When shit hit the fan, we'll take money Southside, be with the best of them Done, shout at the rest of them yeah. Checks, I'm collecting them Check, boy, I'm finessing them Big bags of bread Boy, you fuck around, put a big bag on your head For the one to break your dead Let's get to it, they don't do it like we